welcome to Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, the most unique, entertaining sports talk podcast that you can listen to. I discuss the latest and greatest of happenings in the world of sports with the listening help of your support. My episodes will bring on a heat wave like Martha and the Vandellas, giving you a podcast for all the ladies and the fellas. A warrior with a golden state of mind produces a podcast that is divine every single time with a fabulous style of rhythm that is always intertwined. My name of podcast, you won't be besmirching. Stop with the nonsense like Igor Sesterchin stops pucks running over the competition like a Mack truck. You want to try and have your podcast compete with mine? <laughs> Good luck. Subscribe, rate, and review, and I would very much appreciate. Together, we'll continue to make this podcast great, unique, distinct. Any opinions or negativity toward this, in the words of The Rock, It doesn't matter what you think! Wendell's World in Sports. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, and anyhow you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, K-Pasta, Shalom, Assalamualaikum, good morning, good abend, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Special dedication for those who are listening. Thank you so much. If you could do me a favor when listening to this podcast, I really would appreciate it. If you could just go ahead anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, be it iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, wherever. Do me a favor. Go ahead and uh, download, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. And if you enjoy listening to this, but you want to see how the sausage is made, if you want to go ahead and take a look at this handsome young devil, even though I'm not handsome or young, if you want to see me do my thing, go ahead to my YouTube channel, Wendell's World and Sports. Go ahead and subscribe, like, comment i would very much appreciate it listening or watching doesn't make any difference to me as long as you are participating i'm going to do my gosh darnest to make sure that i give you the best sports talk podcast that you can listen to all right wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us the things that i'm going to be discussing today in the world of sports i'm going to save the nfl i know the nfl were week two of the preseason i know that the regular season is approaching us. I know college football is closer than we think. I know I should be speaking about college football. I know I should be speaking more about the NFL. I know I should be doing more of a formulaic type of uh, sports talk podcast when I'm speaking about who's going to be the MVP, who's going to win the NFC North, who's going to do this, who's going to do that, all this type of stuff. I just, I know I should be breaking down and getting all excited one way or the other when speaking about some of the happenings in the preseason. Some of those things. I'm going to speak about that in the second 
segment, the last segment of the podcast. But as of right now, when I'm speaking about this, man, I really, really can't get into it in terms of uh, watching preseason football. I haven't watched preseason football so far. Maybe some clips here and there, maybe a play or two here and there. But um, for the most part, no, I'm not really watching too much of the uh, preseason football. Got some other things that I want to do, some other sports that I want to watch, and um, just haven't really been preoccupied with it. Again, I don't know how many times I got to tell y'all, but I'm going to tell you one more time. Again, you got to take the long route. You got to take the slow route. You got to take the patient route when you're dealing with the NFL. You can't formulate any type of uh, absolutes. When you're dealing with what's going on in the preseason, we don't know. We can't go ahead and say this is going to be happening in the NFL season based on preseason football. We just can't. I don't care how good a player is. I don't care how how good, how bad or good a team looks. We just can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to waste my time doing it. And I'm not going to be wasting my time on a Thursday or a Monday or a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday in the preseason. I'm not going to be wasting my time watching a bunch of guys who are A- not going to be on the club, or B, going to have little to no impact on how the season is going to fold for their teams, positively or negatively. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to overreact. If I'm not going to overreact week one of the NFL season, or week four, or week eight, and maybe getting up to week nine or ten, I'm not going to be doing it in the preseason. And I know that I've been speaking about this all the time on my podcast before, but I just want to reiterate the fact that, man, if you're going to be looking to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys ad nauseum, I'm not your podcast. If you're going to be looking for a podcast that's going to be trying to break down what's happening in the preseason and then equate that to what's going to be happening in the regular season in any way, shape, or form, I'm not your podcast. I bring the entertainment. I bring the passion. I bring the love. I bring my rapping skills. I bring all of those type of things. But uh, I'm, I'm not bringing that. But again, in the second segment, I'll go ahead and speak about the Dallas Cowboys a little bit. I'll go ahead and speak about um, some of the things that are happening in the preseason. But I'm not going to go on and on and on and on about that. So uh just want to let you know. Just want to get that out there. I should be speaking a little bit about baseball. I know I should be getting into that. But... Uh, ah, you know, the Yankees are struggling just a bit. My man, Jerome out there, uh, you're a certain New Yorker from Manhattan. That's a bad man. That's a bad uh, New York accent. But, um, you know, my man is up there, a big Yankee fan, right? And I like clowning him a little bit because, you know, the Yankees, that, that, and the other. So the Yankees are uh, struggling a little bit first with the pitching, now what they're hitting. Now there's some injuries going on, and you got the Houston Astros catching up and passing them, and their lead in the AL East is going to be secure. The Toronto Blue Jays are not going to pass them, are not going to catch them. Same thing with the Tampa Bay Rays and such. But here in the dog days of Major League Baseball, you got Albert Pujols on his journey to 700 home runs. He's at what now? What, 692, 693, something like that. The Los Angeles Dodgers continue to uh, roll. Some excellent, uh, interesting races going on in the AL and NL Central. Um with that, but for the most part, we're in the dog days of baseball. Not really going to be getting into baseball in terms of what's going to be happening until the playoffs start. Um, just really no need for me to uh, go ahead and do that for me. Baseball falling off the radar in terms of my love for the sport. 
especially when you compare it to uh, growing up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, the fact that even though we did not have the Washington Nationals at that time, and I really wasn't a uh, big Baltimore Orioles fan, I was more of the uh, Minnesota Twins with uh, Frankie Viola and Kirby Puckett and, and those guys, and uh, Kent Herbeck, I was uh, more of the Minnesota Twins guy because of my love for um, Kirby Puckett and you know, Rod Carew was um, Lyman Bostock. Those guys were with the Minnesota Twins. For some reason, I had always been a Minnesota Twins fan for the longest when I was a baseball fan in my youth. But, uh, you know, kind of never really gravitated to the Eddie Murray and the Cal Ripken Jr. and the uh, John Lowenstein and the Al Bumbreys and the Rich Rick Dempseys of the world, even when they were winning World Series in um, 81, 81, 82, somewhere around there. But I really wasn't into it. But, uh, you know, my love for baseball just kind of died out. I don't know if it I just became so ingrained in what society is all about in terms of everybody is in a rush. Nobody has any patience. And I'm the biggest culprit. I have zero patience in almost everything. I'm just really bad about that. So I don't know if it's ADHD. I don't know if I'm just getting old. I don't know if I'm just slowly getting senile. I don't know what's going on. But uh, my patience level for the game of baseball has uh, eroded greatly. So, um, you know, now with the advent of baseball, the way it's being played now, it's being been played like this for a few years now where everybody is just trying to hit a home run. You have pitchers now who a quality start for them is now six inning. The nine inning complete game is no longer with us. I remember one of the best games that I ever saw watching Major League Baseball was the Jack Morris, John Smoltz um, epic game seven in the 1991 World Series between the Twins and the Atlanta Braves. I remember a regular season game between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees where it was Pedro Martinez going up against Roger Clemens. The pitcher's duel in baseball has gone away. The advent of someone throwing a no-hitter just doesn't mean as much anymore. Now we're speaking about no-hitters where you have starting pitcher going five innings or six innings and then three relievers. That's not a no-hitter, man. That's a team no-hitter, but that's not a real no-hitter. So all of those things contribute to regular season baseball not just not meaning as much as it should be, not uh, equating to the love that I had when I was a child in terms of my thoughts and feelings about baseball. My love for the NBA has only grown. My love for the NFL has only grown. Um, other things, tennis and such, has either stayed the same or grown just a little bit. But baseball, from my youth, is the only thing that has uh, kind of, not kind of, it has decreased in terms of my following, in terms of my love, in terms of my passion, in terms of my consistent attention to the sport, even during the summer months when really after the NBA finals are over in June, unless there's a situation where there's a World Cup or the Summer Olympics or uh, yeah, the World Cup in football or the Summer Olympics, baseball really has the sport sporting world unto itself. But, you know, we're, we're, we're now here speaking about training camps in the NFL and the draft in the NBA and free agency in the NBA and such players as LeBron James and Kevin Durant has overtaken uh, the day-to-day talking head show in terms of, uh, you know, what's Durant doing? What's um, 
a LeBron going to do? What quarterback in the NFL wants to be traded? What's happening in the NFL is going on? Instead of speaking about what's going on in Major League Baseball, who's hot, who's not during the regular season, we're pontificating in 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 June, in July, and May, in April about which team is going to be winning the NFC North in football. I mean, so it's it's interesting in baseball. The lack of black players has also um kind of turned me off to the sport. America's sport being baseball. Is it really? When you speak about the Latin American countries, as much emphasis as they put on the baseball, as much as their communities love the sport of baseball, especially when the Major League Baseball players in the offseason, they go back to their uh, countries, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico and such, and they even play, a lot of those guys even play in those leagues. So while the NFL season is going strong, the NBA is starting to, to uh, get r- ripping and roaring, you know, over in the... Um, in, in in those countries like the Dominican, uh, Puerto Rico and such, baseball is still strong and baseball is still a love and a passion and their and their number one thing over there. Even more so, I should say, and I don't know this for a fact, but even more so than football, which is the global phenomenon when it comes to sports. I know we like to speak about the love of the NFL, but no, 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 it's the game of football, European football, not MLS soccer, but football over in the European countries, which if you take the totality of this globe, is the number one sport for um, the entire population of the world that we're living in, followed by the game of basketball and cricket. Cricket is huge, man. I never thought that. No, I'm not speaking about the crickets as far as, uh, you know, what is uh, bothering you during the summer in this country. I'm speaking about the sport of cricket, how big it is in India and all those countries in that region of the globe. It's uh, it's huge. It's huge. So it's... uh situation like that so you know just kind of giving you the what just just kind of giving you my thoughts and the feelings about that real quick before i get into a sport which i'm going to be starting off with which is something that not too many times leads a sports show or leads a sports talk show this weekend it was all about the fights man this weekend it was all about ufc 278 this weekend, it was all about the heavyweight championship fight on the world when you're speaking about Alexander, Alexander Usyk going up against Anthony Joshua. But first, I just want to talk about the stunning upset that happened at UFC 278. Leon Edwards knocked out Kamara Usman, who was the uh, MMA pound-for-pound pound number one with a head kick in the final round in a fight that he was being dominated in to win the UFC welterweight title. About a minute left in the fight, Usman leaned down to his right to defend, and Edwards left uh, left punch, and Edwards caught him flush with a left head kick. It was sensational. Absolutely sensational. Usman, who was out on contact, was less than one minute away from his sixth title defense. The finish came with four minutes and four seconds of the fifth round, making it the fourth latest finish in a UFC title fight, and Edwards snapped Usman's 15-fight UFC winning streak, which was one off Anderson Silva's UFC record, which was, it was a situation where, look, round one, it was surprising that Edwards, for the first time in Usman's career with the UFC, actually got him to the ground, did a little work with some uh, with with, with uh, Usman on his back, but it was plain to see that Usman 
was in control. It was plain to see that Usman was the better fighter. It was plain to see that Usman was putting on a professional performance as a fighter. It was plain to see before that left uh, head left uh, kick to the head uh, put him to sleep. It was a situation where it was a strong professional championship contending performance from Kamara Usman. It wasn't spectacular like he was against Jorge Masvidal. It wasn't as thrilling as it was the first time he fought Colby Covington. It wasn't anything you know similar to uh, Gilbert Burns, any of his title defenses. It wasn't a one-sided domination when he won the welterweight championship from Tyron Woodley. It wasn't anything of that nature. It was just your typical, basic championship performance, professionally done. And you thought Kamara Usman was going to uh, go and uh, win this fight. And win it rather easily. He was winning that round the fifth round and he would and he had won rounds two three and four after uh, losing round one so he was on his way to a 49 46 victory i would go on the assumption in all judges scorecard and you know that would be setting up a situation where hey you know we're speaking about kamara uzman being the goat the best welterweight of all time and blah 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 and all this kind of nonsense and what's going to be happening next and him cleaning up the division and all that went awry all that went bye-bye with one head kick. I don't know what other way you can equate what Leon Edwards did to a Kamara Usman because you couldn't say, like for football, if you want to use it in terms of football, Leon Edwards made a Hail Mary when it came to uh, what he did, if you want to use a football analogy. Well, not really, because for a Hail Mary to work in football, for them to win the game, the other team had to be in close contact to even try to, for the score to even win them in the game. You know, this wasn't a situation where, this wasn't a close fight. Leon Edwards needed this knockout to win. He didn't need a 10-8 round. He didn't need a 10-7 round. He needed a knockout to win. Because after the takedown in round one, Leon Edwards was being dominated. So unlike football, where a team was in position to, if they execute the Hail Mary, that they win the football game, uh, this wasn't a situation with Leon Edwards was not even close to winning. This wasn't a situation in basketball making a half-court shot or something like this. This was something to where it is only exclusive to fighting, boxing, MMA, mixed martial arts, where someone can just be down and out and have no chance whatsoever and land one punch, land one kick, and then the fight is over and there the champion. Everyone says that, hey, you know what? Leon Edwards is a guy. He, he is a guy who deserves the opportunity to uh, fight, an opportunity for the strap, an opportunity to uh, be the champion. I mean, this was something where, you know, it wasn't luck or anything like that. It was set up. At the end of the fight, I was yelling. I was like, what? Is is, is Edwards just trying to just finish off a situation where we, we've seen this before in mixed martial arts, and we've seen this before in boxing, where it looks like the guy has lost his confidence or lost his belief in him thinking that he's going to win the fight. So it's just a matter of, hey, you know what? I went the distance with the champ, and uh, that's good enough for me. I know I lost. I know that he was the better man. But uh, at least I can say to my grandkids, at least I can say to my children, at least I can look myself in the mirror and say, with one of the greatest fighters, boxers of all time, I went the distance, got my championship opportunity. Maybe I'll get another shot down the line. But as of tonight, I just don't have it. I'm going to uh, just, as we say, finish out the string. And just lose by decision, and there's no shame in that. That was the assumption I had when I was watching the fifth round. 
because Edwards being the counter puncher was just sitting there and the clock was ticking and the clock was ticking and the clock was rolling and it was like he was is he gonna do anything? And Usman gave no sign, no sign at all that he was even gonna be susceptible for something like that. But uh as mentioned before, even a guy who already I think is entrenched as one of the greatest welterweights of all time, regardless of this outcome, even someone like Kamara Usman in the situation that he was in is still susceptible to uh, being put to sleep with one kick and one punch. And Leon Edwards is your new UFC welterweight champion. Now, after the fight, while being transported to the hospital, Usman tweeted, champs fuck up sometimes, but we bounce back and come with vengeance. It's going to be interesting because, you know, when, when you see a fighter as great as a Kamara Usman, and we've, one of the great things about mixed martial arts more than any other sports, especially when you're speaking about the individual sports, if you put the, if you put the UFC or if you put mixed martial arts in the same category as golf or as tennis or as boxing, which I'm speaking about in terms of being an individual sport. More than anything, the loss of a fight and then the subsequent uh, the subsequent aftermath of that, of them fighting, we never see the end coming. We never anticipate the end coming. A lot of times in these individual sports. In tennis, we see the we, we see the beginning of the end for the most part. Even someone as great as Roger Federer or Serena Williams or back in the day, John McEnroe, Yvonne Lendl and, 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 um, and Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi and these, and, 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 and these Steffi Graf, Martina Hingis and such. We, we always kind of get a feeling that their dominance is coming to an end. They, they are at the highest of highs. And then even when they're still winning, it's not as impressive as it is before. So a situation where a great individual athlete playing an individual sport, normally we can kind of see the beginning of the end of their career. There's a sled, there's a gradual decline. Even while they're still great, even while they're still number one, even while they're still winning tournaments, it's a situation where, damn, you know what? The competition is uh, catching up to them. And then there's a little... There's a little time where the, the the athletes who catch up to that person in boxing or tennis or golf or whatever in these individualized sports, there's a little bit of a rivalry before the torch is finally passed and we see the end of the run of that great athlete, of that great legendary performer in that individualized sport. Many times we don't see that when it comes to the UFC or mixed martial arts in general. We never we, we, we never know when the end could be coming. No matter how great the mixed martial artist is. A lot of times we never know when that championship reign is going to end. And this ain't boxing where it's like you have people holding on for titles for years and years and years. Even those who we perceive to be dominant. We never see that run of like Joe Lewis or like Larry Holmes or like Sugar Ray Robinson or like Marvin Hagler or we see or Vladimir Klitschko. We, we see these long tenured championship runs 
being number one for a long time, like a Serena Williams in tennis or a Tiger Woods in golf. You know, we never see that in mixed martial arts because it's just so, you know, one punch, one kick. When Anderson Silva lost to Chris Weidman, we all thought what? Oh, he got caught because he was clowning around. Now, many people thought coming into the contest, Chris Weidman, a uh, guy who had only fought nine times, even though he won them all, and that he was built to beat Anderson Silva, the talk was going into that fight that, you know what, Chris Weidman might give Anderson Silva some problems. Chris Weidman might provide better competition than what Anderson Silva had been facing recently. But really, nobody thought that Anderson Silva would lose the way he did, and no one thought in that moment in time that we would see the end of the dominance of the reign of the greatness of Anderson Silva. Long, long ago, I think it was, what, 2016, when uh, Conor McGregor became the uh, first UFC fighter to hold two belts simultaneously when he beat uh, Eddie Alvarez at Madison Square Garden. Nobody, except myself, at that time thought that that was going to be the pinnacle of what Conor McGregor's career as a mixed martial artist was going to be. When BJ Penn in Abu Dhabi lost to Frankie Edgar after BJ Penn had been dominant in his previous uh, uh, championship fights defending his crown, nobody thought that when he lost to Frankie Edgar that that would be the end of the reign of the dominance of the greatness of the perennial pound-for-pound greatness, which was B.J. Penn. Nobody thought when Hannon Burrell got beat up by T.J. TJ Dillashaw that that would be the end for Hannon Burrell. So basically what I'm saying is, is that when Usman lost, and we know how great Usman was. We know his accolades. We know his stature. He, we, we know his status amongst mixed martial artists and the UFC and the hierarchy and the rankings and all this type of stuff. Four minutes or four minutes into the fifth round in which a fight that he was dominating, in which he was winning, he gets knocked out, he gets put to sleep. The pervading thought moving forward now is that, okay, Dana White's going to want to have a rematch. He wants to have the rematch in London, which is... Leon Edwards adopted uh, city, home, uh, home country and such. So many of us, me included, are sitting up here going, well, you know, Usman's going to win the rematch, right? Isn't that what you're thinking? Usman's going to win the rematch. He just got caught. You know, he just got caught. It happens. Happens to everybody. Matt Sarah had a lucky night, had the night of his life against an, against a uh, hubris over, uh, you know, George St. Pierre, an overconfident George St. Pierre. Yeah, these, these things happen. But, you know, don't worry. I mean, I'm, I'm more I'm more in the rain. I'm more in the, the camp of Usman's going to do what uh, the lioness Amanda Nunez did, recapturing her belt against Juliana Pena than what happened to Anderson Silva, where we just thought that, well, he was clowning against Chris Weidman when they face him again. He won't be doing that. He'll be taking them seriously, and he'll get his crown back. Never happened. Never happened. But, when but, but while I'm saying that in all likelihood, I think that if there's going to be a rematch and with um, Kamara Usman getting put to sleep like he did 
I don't know, man. He's got to be in concussion protocol for like, what, six months or something like that? So I don't know how long he's going to be on the shelf because of that. I don't know how when he's going to get his med- medical clearance. And then you got to start putting together an 8- to 12-week uh, training camp for the guy. So I don't know. We could be looking at a minimum of, what, maybe seven, eight months before they fight again. So you're taking a look at early 2023. Is Edwards going to go ahead and... Uh, fight defenders crown during that time we don't know we don't know what's going to happen without question Kamara Usman deserves a uh, an immediate opportunity whenever he's ready to uh try to get his belt back but uh you know is, is Leon Edwards willing to wait a, a guy who one of the reasons why he had uh, waited so long to finally get an opportunity to win a championship or to get himself a championship opportunity was his sometimes inactivity. Even though he has a strap now, is he going to wait for Usman to get ready or is he going to move on and do something else? So Usman had won 19 straight fights overall before Saturday. First uh, knockout loss. He had been the UFC welterweight champion since beating, as I mentioned before, Tyron Woodley at UFC 235 in March of 2019. And Leon Edwards is unbeaten in 11 straight fights Nearly seven years, his last loss, as we all know, was against Kamara Usman in, uh, in 2015. Edwards has a, what is he, 12-2 and two record in the UFC. He was coming off a unanimous decision win over Nate Diaz in June of 21, 2021. I remember there was speculation. I remember, I didn't watch that fight, but I remember listening to the aftermath. And everybody was speaking about, man, did, did Leon Edwards, despite dominating the fight against Nate Diaz for about 85% of the fight. The fact that he was almost put to sleep, despite the fact that Nate Diaz almost did what uh, Leon Edwards did to Kamara Usman, pulling off a miraculous comeback, that that then squash the chances of Leon Edwards getting the opportunity that he had, and instead because of the drawing power and the potential pay-per-view buys that uh, uh, Diaz would be the one that would take its place. That's how fickle, that's how ridiculous, that's how sometimes unfair the UFC can be. Read into that, kids. Life isn't fair. But uh, Leon Edwards got his chance. Mentioned before, Dana White said a trilogy fight between Edwards and Usman would be next for both men. Said he would likely do it in Edwards' adopted home country of England. And, uh, yeah. So, congratulations to what? Congratulations to Leon Edwards. Um, the greatest, I guess you could say, the, the greatest the greatest KO, wouldn't you say? Did you take at all the circumstances bringing into this, the guy that he was fighting and the circumstances and putting that all together, baking that, coming up with the meal, wouldn't you say that uh, this was the greatest knockout in UFC history? If you go into that, look, there's been other great KOs, right? There's been other devastating KOs. KOs. Conor McGregor, 13 seconds KO of Jose Aldo and... And, uh, at USC 194, that was shocking. Holly Holmes making my day, making my life, knocking out that overrated clown, Ronda Rousey at UFC 193. Jorge Masvidal, remember the running, flying knee that he gave to Ben Askren at USC 239. Francis Ngannou almost, almost decapitating Alistair Overeem at UFC 218. And then, as I mentioned before, or didn't mention, but so let me mention to you now, Kamara Usman's devastating knockout of Jorge Masvidal the second time they met down in Jacksonville at UFC 261. So not only will what Leon Edwards do, because you're speaking at how 
you know, Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, that fight had just started. Holly Holmes knocked out round to Rousey with a devastating kick in the third round down there in Australia. Jose Masvidal and Ben Askren, that was unbelievable. That was fantastic. That was exciting. That was exhilarating. But that had nothing to do with them fighting for a championship. Same thing with Ngannou versus Overeem. And same thing with Usman and Masvidal the second time that they met. What Leon Edwards did was knock out, KO, put to sleep, the pound-for-pound king, and the pound-for-pound king for a little time now, in a Kamara Usman, who was on his way to try to develop a resume that would state he's the greatest welterweight of all time and one of the greatest fighters of all time. He derailed that journey for just a second, and again, the awesome comeback being down like he did. That has to go down at the greatest KO. When you put all of that together, that has to go down at the greatest greatest uh, knockout in UFC history along with the greatest comeback in UFC history, which I think tops Anderson Silva tapping out Chael Shonen at uh, UFC 117 when they fought in Oakland uh, that one night. So there you go, man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So what does this mean now for Usman moving forward? Still has the opportunity to become one of the all-time greats, the greatest welterweight in USC history. I think that's all all there. He was less than a minute away from tying Anderson Silva's record for most consecutive wins in UFC history. He had made five title defenses of his welterweight title, as I mentioned before, beat... uh, Jorge Masvidal twice, beat Colby Covington twice, beat Gilbert Burns. All of those guys are very, well, Jorge is, eh, Jorge is more, more flash than uh, substance. But, you know, Colby, Colby Covington is a world-class fighter. Gilbert Burns, world-class fighter, very deserving of their championship opportunities against Usman. So when you speak about the opportunity that, Usman had moving forward in the fact that he lost his belt with a minute left to go of him winning an easy decision. You take a look at the most uh, consecutive title defenses in the UFC organization. You're speaking about some of the all-time greats. Demetrius Johnson, an all-time great, made 11 title defenses from 2013 to 2017. Many people, the GOAT, when they speak about Anderson Silva, made 10 title defenses from 2007 to 2012. My main man, George St. Pierre, also considered one of the GOATs, made nine title defenses from 2008 and 2013. And John Jones, who should be the undisputed GOAT, made eight title defenses from 2011 to 2015. I'm saying John Jones should be, but he fucked that up by being a, by acting like a jackass. Still, um, you're speaking about active fighters, the ability to get the job done, the ability... When you're speaking about the all-time greats for the UFC, I still think Kamara Usman still has that opportunity. This, again, is not boxing. This is a situation where a Rocky Marciano or a Floyd Mayweather or someone retiring undefeated in the UFC ain't going to happen. You're going to be speaking about great all-time great fighters who have lost multiple, multiple times, have lost the belt and regained the belt multiple times, and... When the story is all done and the story is all written, I mean, what do we want to see from our champions? What do we want to see from our all-time greats, regardless of sport? What do we want to see? How they react from a loss. How was Joe Lewis going to react from losing the opportunity to fight for the belt when he lost to Max Schmeling? 
What are we going to see with Kamara Usman in terms of him coming back and trying to uh, regain the belt, facing adversity? We saw what Muhammad Ali did against Joe Frazier when he lost the fight of the century and then the subsequent two fights that he had in Madison Square Garden and then, of course, the thriller in Manila. And then, of course, how can we forget the rumble in the jungle where he regained his championship at the age of 32 when he beat the formerly unbeatable, unstoppable menace, which was then George Foreman. We we always like to see a guy who was down and almost resonates. I, a situation where someone faces adversity and they have to dig down deep. That, when you're speaking about judging greatness, when you're speaking about measuring greatness, when you're speaking about sitting them at the table of the all-time greats and letting them speak about who's the greatest and where they should be placed and who should be at the head of the table and who should be the last invite in to the VIP club of the GOATS, uh, at the GOATS club. A lot of times it's like, hey man, what did you do when adversity hit? That's one of the things why I always say when people want to yap about Floyd Mayweather and this, that, and the other. Floyd Mayweather went 49-0. and Floyd Mayweather went 49-0. and Take a look at the last six or seven fights of Floyd Mayweather's career. You're not going to try to tell me that he tried to do everything purposely possible for him to get to that undefeated record. Everything that Floyd Mayweather did in the ring his last six or seven times after he got that big bag of money from him fighting Oscar De La Hoya. Now, he fought the Diego Corrales. Up until he fought um, De La Hoya, he did everything to prove that he was a champion inside the ring. Horrible human being outside the ring. Great champion inside the ring. But once he got that moniker in terms of him being a pay-per-view mega mega bucks machine. And once he got to that level to where, you know what, he could be calling the shots, and Floyd Mayweather then could morph into Money Mayweather, then everything was set up to his advantage. Don't talk to me about him being the greatest fighter of all time. Talk to me about him being the greatest fighter of his generation. Yes, sorry Manny Pacquiao, but not, not the greatest of them all when you're speaking about the all time greats. Why? Never faced adversity. Never had to come back from a loss. We never had to see his moral fiber, his character. Kamara Usman now has that chance. So he's still on the path. He still has a chance for greatness. If he can beat and if he can regain his strap and he can continue to clean up the division after that, because there's not going to be a fourth fight between these two. It's tied one-to-one, so we're going to have the trilogy. If Usman can get that and then continue his dominance, yeah, there should be no there should be no question when everything is all said and done. 35-year-old Kamara Usman now, who probably has another three or uh, two or three years left of dominance in this tank, cannot, when everything is all said and done, be sitting at the table of the greats and the goats of the UFC. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So that was UFC 278, where you saw Luke Rockhold (laughs) with his face, with blood pouring down on his face to, uh, oh my goodness gracious, I Paulo Costa, thank you, uh, rub his blood on his face. That was nasty. That was disgusting. I mean, the most disgusting thing you can do to a human being outside of killing them or doing some type of sexual assault is spitting on them. That's the most vile, disgusting thing that you can do. It's to have transfer your saliva onto someone else. 
whether it be their arm, whether it be their leg, whether it be their chest, and most the most disgusting, whether it be their face. Ew, I'd rather have you stab me. I'd rather have you hit me with a club. Not too hard, but still. But um, but then to have somebody rub their blood, rub their blood on your face. Oh man, that was that's like come on, man. But uh, you know, Luke Rockold. Went out, 37 years old, as he told Joe Rogan, I'm fucking old, man. What do you want me to do? So uh, that was, that was for, for two guys who gassed by the end of the first round, that was kind of, that was kind of silly, and that was all entertaining all, this, all at the same time. The beatdown and the humiliation that um, the style bender, <sighs> Israel Alessandra, Gay Paulo Costa, I guess he's still feeling the effects of that, both physically and mentally. But uh, yeah, overall, the UFC card for uh, 278 in Salt Lake City, it was pretty good. Again, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Moving now to another championship fighting scene down in Saudi Arabia. Heavyweight championship, Alexander Usich. Outpoints Anthony Joshua to retain his titles. Usic retained his three heavyweight titles with a split decision victory over Anthony Joshua in the rematch down there in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. One George, one judge scored the bell for Joshua one fifteen, one thirteen. Have no idea what he have no idea what he was looking at. I don't I don't know why that judge went C.J. Ross on the uh, scorecards, but that was atrocious. The other two judges had the scores 115-113 and 116-112 in favor of Usyk, who defeated Joshua for the second time. Joshua fought better the second time around, but clearly lost to a better boxer. And I don't know, I mean, again, he fought with a little bit more aggression than he did in the uh, first fight, uh, speaking about Anthony Joshua against Usyk. But um, it was still a situation where he was counterpunching. It was still a situation where clearly, if you saw the size disparity between the two, it was just amazing to me that Anthony Joshua didn't try to uh, bully, didn't try to uh, kind of muscle the uh, smaller man in Usyk. Well, he was a fighter and he was dancing, he was moving, he was throwing punches. Yeah, that's all true. But I, I definitely thought when Joshua went to the body on a consistent basis, Against Usage, it hurt him and it slowed him down. Especially when you're speaking about that that ninth that ninth round. And it just seemed like Joshua just I don't know if it was hesitancy. I don't know if it was lack of confidence. I don't know what it was. I think Robert Garcia, his trainer that came in for the fight, did a much better job in preparing him. But uh, I, I still thought that while it wasn't as evident as it was the first time that they fought, that Joshua played right into the same hands in terms of him speaking of Usyk, be the uh, boxer putting on a boxing match when you know he should have Joshua should have tried to get down and dirty and and uh, do some things to muck it up make it an ugly fight maybe go Marcus uh, Maidona on the guy but uh, he didn't and uh, he's out of the uh, championship picture for the time being I, I don't know exactly where he goes from now uh, I know Usyk after the fight was asked about uh, whether he would go ahead and try to become the undisputed champion by going after the WBC belt, which is currently held by Tyson Fury. Fury has repeatedly claimed that he is retired from boxing. Um, Usyk said that I'm sure that Tyson Fury is not retired yet. 
I'm convinced that Tyson wants to fight me. I want to fight him. If I'm not fighting him, I'm not fighting it. I'm not fighting at all. Only God knows whether I will or not. Or also Tyson Fury. Um, you know, don't don't sleep on Usyk. Um, the the man can box. He definitely if those if 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 they're going to go ahead and have that fight, which I think ultimately they will. Um, I think of course Fury's going to have the size and such and. Uh, Fury at 6'9 is not going to come in the same size that he did when he fought someone as uh, big and as strong as Deontay, uh, Deontay Wilder. But I think this is going to be a situation where, you know, um, Fury is going to come in uh, a lot lesser in terms of weight of concern. It might be the lightest that he's been in years to fight a boxer like Alexander Usich. But, you know, when you speak about Usich and his boxing ability, unlike some of the plodding clotting type of um, mechanical, robotical, amateurish type of heavy heavyweights that we have right now, speaking about Wilder and mainly Anthony Joshua, that, uh, yeah, he has a chance. He's not going to knock out Tyson Fury, but does he have the chance to uh, win if that happens? As far as the decision is concerned, to outbox the much bigger Tyson Fury? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened if you told me to put my uh, townhome on the line out here in northwest Las Vegas if um, if um, can Usyk beat Tyson Fury? The answer for me would be no if I had some real assets or real things that I treasure dealing with it. But uh, it, it would be a fight that I would want to see. It's clearly a fight that I think would be better than if Anthony Joshua would have fought uh, Tyson Fury. Now you'd be looking at a situation where if Joshua would have won that fight, then there would have been a third fight and all this kind of nonsense and what that would have done for the appetite for Tyson Fury to box if he had to wait a little bit more. Would he go ahead and fight somebody else? Is he really done with fighting? I think all of these things now are going to be coming into focus a little bit more quickly on what's going to be happening with the heavyweight division now that Anthony Joshua, in terms of being an immediate title contender, is out of the picture. When I take a look at Anthony Joshua's career, though, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast was yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Man, when I take a look, and my man Armando Vasquez, I've been schooling him, I've been teaching him, I've been educating him, I've been trying to get that fakeness out of that fan of his in terms of boxing, I've been trying to educate him for years. Speaking about boxing in terms of, man, has there been anybody dumber? Now, yes, before I start going in the missed opportunities financially and historically that Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua missed throughout his career so far, before I get into all of that, Anthony Joshua is still going to be paid handsomely with that contract that he has with the zone. So Anthony Joshua is not going to be having to work at Wendy's or work at Smith's or work at Albertsons or Safeway or picking up your trash can or picking up uh, around your public parks. Anthony Joshua is going to be set for life. I don't know. Anthony Joshua, Anthony Joshua would have to be some kind of stupid to uh, a very high degree for him to blow the money that he's going to be making. That being said, with his loss to uh, Alexander Usic, this was the second opportunity that Anthony Joshua flushed down the toilet for him to make a financial boondoggle fighting Tyson Fury. The first time, remember when DeAndre Wilder was hot and Anthony Joshua just came off of beating Vladimir Klitschko? Do you know how much money those two could have made if they would have fought in the first 12 or 18 months 
Do you realize that? But no, you know, bullshit and negotiations and nonsense and, and you know, the fighters and that and uh, promoters and all this kind of nonsense got in the way. And when Anthony Joshua lost at the Madison Square Garden, that bullshit fell through. And then when Wilder draw, had a draw with uh, Tyson Fury, which means that those two would have been, had to be uh, dancing mates for a little bit, that took the shine off of that because at the time you had two heavyweights, one being American, you had two heavyweights, young, still in their prime, relatively young. I know Wilder started boxing a little bit later on in life. So, um, you know, even though he was in the 30s, he was still in his infancy in terms of being a champion, in terms of being a megastar, in terms of being a draw, in terms of being a guy who could be the foundation, who could be the attention getter for the sport of boxing. But still, this was a situation that was tailor-made for those guys to fight two or three times, and those guys could be making buku, buku, buku bucks. You're speaking about a Deontay Wilder versus Anthony Joshua fight years ago when both of them were hot. You could be taking a look in an excess at that time of both of those guys if they would have fought twice. You're looking at a situation where both of those guys could have been making anywhere between, I don't know, man, like taking home before taxes and such, you're, you're taking a look at two guys who could have probably made between those two fights a combined, I don't know what, 115, 120 million. Here's 120 million, fellas. Split that up. Split it up. We'll do the first fight in Abu Dhabi. We'll do the second fight at Madison Square Garden. We'll do the second fight at Jerry World. We'll do the second fight out here in Vegas. Whatever we're going to be doing, there's a boatload of money. And a historical opportunity for both you guys in terms of the heavyweight championship, in terms of the heavyweight history is concerned. And both of those ass clowns messed it up. Both of those chumps didn't get it done. Because everybody saw what happened with Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, right? Everybody was speaking about, me too, I was part of that camp. In terms of missed opportunity, missed opportunity, missed opportunity, missed opportunity, when both Mayweather and... Pacquiao were at their best. Missed opportunity. Do you realize how much money those guys missed out on making and this, that, and the other and could have gone down as one of the greatest fights of their last 10, 20, or 30 years and blah, 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 blah. What happened? When both those guys were way past their prime, they went ahead and fought and both of those guys made a boatload of money. So everybody saw that. Eddie Hearn, De La Hoya, Bob Arum, all those guys saw what happened over there on top rank and, and PBC and all these promoters and this, that, and the other. They saw what happened with Pacquiao and Mayweather and were like, we don't have to put those guys on right now. We don't have to put Joshua and Wilder on right now because we can let this thing marinate. We can let the thing go on a little bit more. And if, for instance, arbitrary number, if they're going to be fighting for $50 million each now, we can kind of let this ride a little bit longer for a few more years to where these guys are going to be making $60, $65 million each, and then I can pick up a bigger purse. Let it marinate. Those guys don't have to fight now when they're at their absolute peaks. Even though the short-sightedness of that is the fact that those two guys talking about Joshua, talking about Wilder, could have made boatloads of money not fighting not once, but not twice, but three times. Damn! And you see what happened. 
you see how Andy Ruiz knocking out Anthony Joshua at Madison Square Garden can fuck things up. You saw what happened when Tyson Fury got off of the canvas in the final round after getting his head knocked off by Deontay Wilder in the, in the first fight that they had and then fighting to a draw, which many people thought that Tyson Fury won that fight, which then dictated, which then demanded that those guys fight again, which then took Anthony Joshua out of the picture, to which then he had to find a fight, to which then he had to fight Alexander Uchic, to which then he lost, to which then another possible mega fight between Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury went out the window. Damn! The biggest fight in British boxing history. Damn! That's over with. That's gone. Now, maybe a few years down the road, if Fury still has the interest, he can go ahead and beat up on Anthony Joshua and pick himself a nice little payday. He can still be champ while he's doing it. But damn, 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 it ain't the same thing. Damn, 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 it ain't the same thing when both of those guys were hot. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity for both those guys. Missed opportunity, though, for Anthony Joshua. And really, the second time that Anthony Joshua missed out on an opportunity to get paid. So, there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Real quickly, I want to bring back the NBA, the love of my life. My Halle Berry, my Layla Rochon, my Monica Bellucci, my Selma Hayek, my um, Jada Fire. Be 18 or over kids to look that up. But um, look up that name. Don't, don't, don't. My Cherokee Diaz, be 18 and over to look that up, kids. But um, Cherokee Diaz, like early 2000s. Um, uh, was she that old? Um, what I'm speaking about is the NBA. I told you that, uh, you know, the NBA is on vacation. My wife, my Halle Berry, my, 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 my side piece, the NFL, is right now occupying my uh, time and space, especially with the season right around the corner, both college and the um, NFL. Well, my wifey, the NBA, kind of came back to the house. She had to pick up some things before she went back on vacation. Speaking about LeBron James agreeing to a two-year extension with the Los Angeles Lakers. Have to talk about that a little bit. Told you I put the NBA on the shelf a little bit, but let me take it off the shelf to speak about this. On Wednesday, Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul told ESPN's uh, told ESPN that James had agreed to a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension that includes a player option for the 2024-25 season. The extension, which includes a 15% trade kicker, makes James the highest-earning player in NBA history with $532 million in guaranteed money, surpassing Brooklyn Nets' Uh, Kevin Durant, James had been entering the final season of his contract worth $44.5 million and now joins Anthony Davis with the ability to negotiate new deals with the Lakers or become free agents in two seasons. And because James signed this extension, the Lakers could have north of $20 million in salary cap space in the 2023 offseason and would have the ability to sign a third max contract player in the 2023 24 off season. The only thing that I see wrong with that when you're speaking about that opportunity for the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James doing what he's doing is the fact that if you take a look at the best free agents over the next two off seasons, 2023 
and 2024. If you take a look at the 2023 free agents, Chris Middleton, Andrew Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, some of these, some of these, um, some of these players even have uh, are restricted free agents or have player options, so they're not even undisputed. These are not, you know, uh, unrestricted free agents. Chris Middleton, Andrew Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, Tyler Hero, D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Poole. 2024 free agents, Clay Thompson, Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, Pascal Siakam, DeMontis Sabonis. Some of those in 2024 seem, uh, you know, mainly Jalen Brown, uh, Siakam, Sabonis. Interesting, but when I take a look at what's going on with the Lakers and I take a look at the squad... I, I don't see the Lakers getting any better with this LeBron James contract extension. And it was surprising to me that LeBron James would even do this. Maybe speaks about his mortality as a player. Yeah, I still think that he's a top 10 player. He's still a stats getter. He's still a guy that's going to put numbers on the board. He's still going to have an impact. But unfortunately, if you're going to be judging this LeBron James, LeBron James of his second stint with the Cleveland Cavaliers or his time with the Miami Heat, you're going to be sadly disappointed. The greatest of them all, of his generation, um, LeBron James, he's not that guy anymore. He's not that guy that can put a whole franchise on his back and carry them to a championship. He can't do that anymore. He's going to need some real help. And Anthony Davis was the one that was supposed to be the guy that was going to take the torch. He was going to be the guy that was going to do for LeBron James in terms of him not having to carry the entire load instead of instead of him doing it, that he was going to have Anthony Davis be the main person who did that. Just like when Tim Duncan got too old of carrying the San Antonio Spurs, he gave that uh, responsibility to Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, just like when Shaquille O'Neal became too old to do that with the Miami Heat, he gave that to Dwayne Wade. When Dwayne Wade was um, not the best player and was unable to go ahead and do that by himself, he gave that moniker and that responsibility to LeBron James, just like when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the Lakers couldn't be able to carry the entire team anymore. He gave the torch to Magic Johnson, who then won the MVP, scored 20-something points a game, his best scoring season of his career, and then led the Lakers to the 1987 NBA championship with the Sky junior skyhook over both Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. This has been a situation going as far back as Wilt Chamberlain back in 1966-67 season where after winning seven NBA scoring championships, he finally said, instead of me going out scoring 35, 44, 50 points a game, let me go ahead and pass some of that responsibility off to Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham and uh, Lucius Jackson and such. And what happened? The 76ers of that year went 67-13 and to throw the Boston Celtics and won themselves and NBA championship. LeBron James following the goats of the games of the of of the game that he loved, the NBA basketball, thought he was going to be able to do that with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis has proven not to be that guy. And when you take a look at the surrounding cast that the Lakers have, there is nobody out there for the Lakers to then go ahead and replace Anthony Davis to have that player become the person that had the responsibility of being the main reason why the Lakers are going to be winning a championship with the help of LeBron James. When the Miami Heat won their first NBA championship, when Dwayne Wade went off, thanks to the uh, greatness of Dwayne Wade and the officiating, Shaquille O'Neal was still a prominent force on the team and the reason 
one of the main reasons why the Miami Heat won that championship. He just wasn't the main reason. Tim Duncan was still a focal point, was still an important piece. He now just wasn't the main reason. LeBron James, I think, now in his career fits perfectly into the, hey, this guy's going to lead us to a championship and I'm going to play a major role in that. But he's just not going to be able to do it himself. He's just not going to be able to be the star of the show. He's not going to be able to be Denzel. He's not going to be able to be Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump or Denzel and uh, Malcolm X. He's going to need some help. He's going to need somebody else to play the leading role for that for that team to win a championship. And with Russell Westbrook still on the books and the $47 million that he's going to be making, what do you do with that contract? Where can you go with that contract? You know, the, the talks have now stalled with um, the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets concerning the acquisition of Kyrie Irving. So I don't, I don't know in terms of the hunger and the dedication that LeBron had, LeBron James has, what it signals to me with him signing that contract is that a, I'm not going to do what I did in Miami, sacrifice my salary for the betterment of the team. I'm the best player on the team. I'm one of the best players in the league, and I'm going to be paid like it. I'm the most important player of, in in the game right now, along with Steph Curry. I'm one of the most recognizable players in the game right now. I'm a public brand. I'm a I'm a public figure. And the Lakers are going to pay me for it because even if I'm not the greatest player in the world, because who I am, LeBron James, I'm adding value to your franchise by just being on the court and being uh, employed by you guys. So you guys are going to pay me like that. Show me the money. So I think that's one reason why LeBron is sticking with the Lakers. And another reason why I think it's a situation um, all great NBA players go through this. Ever since Jordan retired. I'm tired of chasing MJ. Because there's no use in chasing MJ because you're never going to catch him and you're never going to win. You're never going to win with the public. Regardless of what LeBron James does, MJ, in many people's mind, is still going to be the GOAT. Still going to be the greatest of all time. And no matter what LeBron James does, he could go ahead and win five more championships and score a million more points. That's never, ever, ever going to give LeBron the respects, the respect that he has. So basically, Kobe had to learn this the hard way too. Remember when Kobe, all he wanted to do was be better than MJ and be the best player who ever played and all this kind of stuff. And it was a situation where Kobe just got just raked through the coals. You couldn't win a championship. Shaquille O'Neal was the only reason why you won a championship. And you were a guy who was a Michael Jordan wannabe. You can tell by your mannerisms and all this kind of stuff. You wanted to be like Mike and not be like Kobe. And Kobe went through all that bullshit. So when Kobe finally grew up, he was kind of like, you know what, guys, you win. Fuck it. I don't want to be MJ anymore. MJ's the greatest. Enough, enough, enough. I'm just going to be the best Kobe I can be. And I'm just going to let it fly from there. And that's, I think that's the same thing with LeBron. You, you can't win. You can't win. There's a strong argument to be made that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. There's too many people out there, especially my age and about 10 or 15 years younger, that are never going to even ascertain an argument concerning that. Not even the situation of arguing, is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? There's too many fucking knuckleheads out there who are too stupid to realize that LeBron James, at the very least, is on Michael Jordan's level. Forget about arguing who's better. 
These guys won't even give it up to LeBron for even being close to Michael Jordan's level. Despite the greatness of LeBron James. And I've always thought it was asinine to even have the discussion, even have the debate, even have the argument about who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's, 19, it's 1992 arguing who's more attractive, who's better looking, who's sexier, Selma Hayek or Halle Berry. Is there really a correct answer? <laughs> Damn! <laughs> so it's like ridiculous. So, um, yeah, so LeBron re-signed. I think that, you know, if he's going to go out with four championships and been going to the finals 10 or 11 times in his career and he gets the opportunity to play with his son and he becomes the all-time scoring leader and all this type of stuff, then you know what? That's good enough for him. Let that rest and let that marinate and let that uh, be his resume in terms of debating 10, 15, 20 years from now who's the greatest player of all time because you're going to have guys like Luka, you're going to have guys like Giannis, you're going to have guys like Jokic, you're going to have many other guys start joining that fray uh, as the years go on, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. So it's like, hey, man, it's, let Luka have that bullshit argument. Let Djokovic, let um, let MB, let these other guys. Now, when they start doing great and start putting up numbers and start winning championships and start being MVPs and start having a generation, their generation, uh, fawn and love and worship, these guys and the and, and 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 that generation, Lucas generation and such, are just going to uh, guys who never who really don't have the totality of what Michael Jordan was all about, and for the most part, what uh, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant was all about. Once that generation, including me, gets old and we die and we fade out and we don't uh, become relevant in society, in everyday society, and pop generation society, let them have that argument and talk about how great and how wonderful and how awesome. Uh, Luca and all those guys are. Let Luca then have to deal with. You're not better than MJ. You're not better than MJ. Michael Jordan was the greatest. Michael Jordan could solve could solve cancer. Blah 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 blah. So let 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 Luca deal with that bullshit. LeBron, like I'm done. I'm good. I'm really good. All right. So Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Well, time is a flying. Let me go ahead. Let me boogie a little bit and let me get back to some stuff that I want to talk about in the NFL. Take about five or ten minutes of your time to speak about that. My name is Wendell Wallace. You are listening to the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. Wendell's World and Sports. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Let's boogie. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, a lot of things get down on going on in the world of sports, again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, I very much appreciate it, again, 
Do me the favor, if you would, please, anywhere where you listen to this podcast, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere else, follow, subscribe, download, rate, review, and really, if you like the program, just enjoy, just enjoy, just enjoy, whether you're sitting at a, uh, whether you're sitting in the classroom, whether you're uh, on the road, whether you're sitting at an airport, whether you're on a Greyhound bus, whether you're taking the Amtrak, whether you're just at work needing something to do. Hey, man, if you're taking the time to spend a little bit over an hour or two, uh, listen to me go on and on and on and on and on with it. I very much appreciate that. Again, if you're a sports fan, if you're a single lady between the ages of 43 and 47, 48, single, ready to mingle, and you looking fine or at least looking good, Go over to my uh, YouTube channel, check me out and how I do my thing, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Wendell's World of Sports, you subscribe and uh, like and uh, do all that good stuff. My next podcast on YouTube, hopefully it's going to come out on Friday morning. I've got to be up in Mesquite for a couple of days, but uh, by the time I get back, hopefully I'll have something that I can uh, put down and talk about and discuss. I will. But uh, we'll see what happens. All right. Let me go ahead very quickly because I know everybody's talking about NFL football, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Um, Let me see. Dallas Cowboys, week two of the NFL preseason. Still plenty of uh, issues with the penalties. They won against the L.A. Chargers, 32-18. Committed another eight penalties after having 17 the week before. Wide receiver Kevontae Turpin was the star of the show. Returned to kickoff 98 yards for a touchdown in the first quarter. And a punt return 86 yards. So there's somebody to where, hey, you know, Tony Pollard and C.D. Lamb, who had the kickoff and punt return duties last year, they're going to be minimized in that. Uh, their roles are going to be expanded more for this season. So Kevontae Davis, situation where, um, or Kevante Turpin, excuse me, he's going to have the opportunity to go that, to do that. Wonder if he's going to be able to help out in the passing game as the third wide receiver. Um, again, C.D. Lamb and Noah Brown have been the top two receivers in camp, even though they've missed a couple of days because of minor injuries. I think toe with C.D. Lamb and Noah Brown, I forgot, but uh, Michael Gallup is still rehabbing from February knee surgery. James Washington. Recently undergoing surgery for a foot fracture, so both Washington and Gallup are expected to return to action sometime in December. But you're taking a look now at some very green and inexperienced wide receivers out there when you're speaking about Dennis Houston, an undrafted rookie out of Western Illinois. He has received most of the reps with the first team because he's been impressing the coaches with uh, his consistency and his attention to detail. But the others, man, you're speaking about third-round picks. You're speaking about first-year whiteouts. You're speaking about uh, inexperienced guys. What is that going to do for Dak Prescott in the passing game? Now, Prescott is making enough money to where he should be able to still have a very successful season, especially with the money that he's making and what he did uh, last year and what he's shown as a franchise quarterback. But then again, you know, this is a situation where how much of chicken shit can you turn to chicken salad a guy making over $40 million should be able to uh, come close to uh, making some very delicious chicken salad. Maybe not top of the line. Maybe not Bobby Flay. Maybe not. Uh, maybe not that. Maybe maybe not that that kind of uh, chicken salad. That's reserved for the 
Josh Allen's and the Patrick Mahomes of the world, but it should be it should be pretty good. It should be something that should at least get you to the next round on guys' grocery games, right? So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, the offensive line for Dallas, I'm really going to be speaking on deep, on offense for the uh, Cowboys when you're speaking about the offensive line had one of the best in the league, if you remember, with Tyron Smith and Zach Martin and Travis Frederick and then Collins and Connor Williams over the year. They drafted Tyler Smith. Alan Tulsa in the draft, first round of the draft uh, this season. Um, they're still going to be good. They're still going to be uh, consistent. But I'm now going to be thinking also with the question marks at wide receiver. What does it mean now for Ezekiel Elliott in terms of his impact, in terms of his responsibility with the team entering his seventh year? What, what are we going to expect from him? Are we going to see the guy who, after being picked fourth overall in the 2016 NFL Draft, the guy who gained over 7,000 yards on the ground, topped 100 yards, 1,000 yards rushing four times, including last a year, led the league in rushing twice, been named to the Pro Bowls, scored 68 total touchdowns. Are we going to be seeing that guy? Are we going to be seeing anywhere close to that guy? Or are we going to be seeing a very diminished Ezekiel Elliott? who has had mega touches, especially when you're speaking about the first three or four years of his career. A guy who, as a rookie, averaged about 109 yards per game, but then last year went all the way down to about 59 yards per game, which was 17th in the NFL. You're speaking about also a guy in Tony Pollard, who's a more versatile player, even though, yes, Elliott has improved as a blocker in a pass catcher. You're speaking about a guy in Tony Pollard who can play all three downs, a guy who's also younger, makes about a million dollars less, and has averaged uh, one more yard per carry in his first season with a 1,000 yards total from last season. A more versatile running back who is also making less money, less wear and tear on the tires. That could mean, guess what, y'all? Elliott could be in his last season with the Cowboys. Four years remaining on the contract he signed a few years ago. Remember when he went down to Cabo and was training and was holding out and Jerry Jones finally uh, gave in and gave him a six-year, $90 million contract? Well, he still has four years remaining on that boy at boy, and, he, and Dallas would have to take a almost $12 million salary dead cap hit by cutting Elliott this season. But... Even though for 2023, his cap hit would be $16.7 million, $12.4 million of his 2022 money is guaranteed, while none of next year's money is guaranteed. So Dallas could shave over $10 million off the cap by cutting Elliott in the offseason. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the uh, Cowboys are going to be doing, especially paying close attention to what the uh, Philadelphia Eagles are doing who seem to be a quarterback away from uh, being a real player when it comes to contention in the NFC. Not just the NFC division, not just the NFC East division, but also, I mean, we don't, we don't know what's going to be happening with the uh, Green Bay Packers situation as far as their wide receiver position is concerned. If you remember, Aaron Rodgers really relied on Devontae Adams last year when you're speaking about targets. How is he going to uh, bring in the uh, new crop of wide receivers with that uh, with that team. You're speaking about the San Francisco 49ers. The structure around Trey Lance should equate success, especially when you have an offensive play caller like Kyle Shanahan. But how is a guy who has basically taken two years off in terms of consistent competitive football 
in Trey Lance going to do now, not just being the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, making that jump from North Dakota State, not playing football his last year in college, then not playing much at all his first year in the NFL, now being the starting quarterback for a team who has championship aspirations. How is he going to handle that? So they also have a situation where, you know, what what is the what are the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to be doing? A situation where their offensive line is banged up, losing their uh, center for a significant amount of time because of the injury that he happened uh, and, uh, that happened in practice. When you're speaking about Chris Codwin coming back from a torn ACL, um, you're speaking about a defense now that's not going to have the same type of attention. Now that Todd Bowles is going to be the head coach and not just the defensive coordinator. How is that team going to ride and die? So there's a lot of questions right now surrounding the NFC, around the uh, around the NFC. And, and Dallas is one of those who are going to fit right in there. A team that's talented, has playmakers both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. But especially when you're speaking about offense, a lot of question marks. Them trading, um, them trading Amari Cooper in the offseason to the Cleveland Browns and then some of the injuries sustained at that uh, skill position for the Cowboys. How are they going to respond? How are they going to uh, go ahead and get it done? Again, Dak Prescott, what about the questions concerning the offensive line and Ezekiel Elliott, the play calling, the game management of of uh, Mike McCarthy comes into play. Sean Payton, that shadow, that large shadow casting its uh, vision straight on that job for the Dallas Cowboys allegedly. So all of this is going to come into play as the season goes along. But then again, as I mentioned before, the season has not started just yet. Next podcast, I'm going to be speaking more on college football because it's almost here. And whatever comes up in the world of sports, I will be speaking about. So I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Once again, as I always say, um, do what you need to do. To um, grow, to make yourself better, have a conversation with someone outside of your comfort zone. Outside of the comfort zone is where the magic happens. Go educate yourself, talk to somebody, learn from somebody, listen to somebody. Shut up and listen to somebody different than you, different gender, different race, different background, different financial background, different religion, different loves of their lives, different all of that type of stuff. Learn, 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 learn. And then take that knowledge to the youth. Take that knowledge to the younger generation so they can be educated. So they can get out of the malaise of ignorance and stupidity and inexperience that uh, is being cast upon them by my generation. With their selfishness and their evilness and their racist and their divided and selfish thoughts and feelings. Let's kind of grow up and let's kind of see what we can do to leave a legacy to the younger generation. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell Wallace, get me out of here with some music.